some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird kick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Leon on and uh, 
hear his story. Hi, Leon. How are you? Is it Gunner? Hey, Gunner and Julie. How you guys today? Hey, Leon. How Good. are you? Doing well. Doing well. Just trying to stay warm here. Uh, we've got like uh, 25 degrees and 30 <laughs> mile an hour winds and probably about 10 inches of snow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Julie. No, I was just thinking that, you know, all the differences in our weather, the three of us, you yeah. know, I'm over there at 78, and you're over there at 60, and poor Leon's up there at 25. But that's, that's springtime in America for you. Uh, especially up here in the Rocky Mountains, you know, I live mm-hmm. up at 10,000 feet, so it's it's always like this. It's 70 one day and 20 the next. Yeah. <laughs> So Leon, you've had you you've had a um a few encounters with with uh, Bigfoot creatures. Uh, well, can you tell us a little bit about your background and and uh, the story of Leon Drew? Okay, well, I was a career U.S. Army. I uh, did 18 years active duty. Uh, worked for the Army still as a civilian, uh, doing telecommunications engineering and project management. Uh, I, I had my first encounters with this about uh, five years ago and uh, started doing some research, got in with some of a couple of our local groups here and uh, and then started just hiking the areas, you know, in my free time and had some interesting experiences. Um, besides active duty military, um, or law enforcement, I was a volunteer with the uh, Colorado Rangers for 14 years. And uh, spent, you know, grew up in the woods, spent, you know, all my life out in the wilderness, whether it be, and I was re- I'm originally from upstate New York, uh, but, you know, I've lived in Georgia and Missouri, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, Panama, South America, uh, done some stuff over in the Far East, and so... Fairly well traveled and always been interested in this. My interest in this kind of started back in the early mid seventies when uh T V show In Search of came on and started seeing that unusual stuff on there. And uh you know, I started looking at books and stuff. So it's always been a fascination of mine, especially anything weird I you know, enjoy <laughs> reading about. So you had so at your when you had your first encounter you you had some kind of reference uh, context of Bigfoot, but but uh, had you ever heard or you know had anything that happened in was prior to that that you couldn't explain or? Um, no, not really. Um, nothing that I'd ever encountered before that. Uh, the first encounter was um, like I was saying. I live at ten thousand feet out of a little town uh, called Cripple Creek, Colorado. Um, you know, we're a rural mountain town. Originally, it was a mining town. It's still gold mining going on, but mostly it's uh, uh, historic tourism and gambling town now. But uh, I drive about an hour to work every morning. And um, one January, I was uh, driving to work. It was about 5:30 in the morning, and so long before the sun came up, and I had my jeep on the road and. Just on the edge of the headlights, I see something 
come off of one of these boulders that there's a big cliff right there on you know this kind of rugged area uh sitting on top of the boulder that came off the boulder that's when i noticed it and it was bipedal and i estimated it was about six foot tall uh kind of a thin build ran across the road jumped over the guardrail and was gone now across the road and over the guardrail you're going down a probably uh almost a 25% grade, so it's fairly steep. So he was moving quick and, and gone. Well, the December of that same year, at probably 6 o'clock at night, again, December here at 6 o'clock, it's pitch dark. Uh, basically the same thing, probably a half mile farther up the road from that encounter. After that happened, I talked to my wife, and she was in the Jeep the second time it happened, but she just noticed something going over the guardrail. She didn't see anything more than that. But uh, she goes, well, you got to get a hold of somebody and figure, you know. So I contacted uh, a group called Sasquatch Investigators of the Rockies, SIR as they're commonly known, and mm-hmm. talked to uh, Mike Johnson and his group. And uh, so they're, they're who I blame for uh, getting me hooked on this stuff. <laughs> but, <laughs> but great group of people. But uh, a few weeks later, uh, I arranged with Mike and another one of his people to kind of do a little expedition in the area where we were at. And being into paranormal investigations before that, I was a little, I'm a little leery about anybody when I first meet them. You know, you're not sure how, well, like for a better term, normal they're going to be, but I don't really think any of us are normal that are doing this kind of stuff. Um, (laughs) You don't say. uh, Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was like, yeah, you got that right. Now, you, you, um, did you have the Pikes Peak paranormal group before you had your Bigfoot encounter? Yes, I did. Yeah, it was just, it was just Pikes Peak paranormal. So okay. then we kind of added that on. Yeah, I've been doing paranormal investigations so about almost seven years now. Uh, mm-hmm. and we have a group of about 12 people, and uh, we get out, you know, well, not as much as we'd like to, but as much as we can afford to <laughs> to do stuff mm-hmm. in different areas. But uh, with this uh, little expedition thing I did with uh, Mike and his group, we went out and we were walking around areas and we got some, uh, started finding stuff right away as soon as we got up about uh, between 10,500 and 11,000 feet. Uh, we were finding uh, tree breaks, uh, found a couple of scrapes that could have possibly been, uh, you know, from feet, but just no sure way to tell. Um, but we did find something really unusual really quick was we found a... Uh, a tree stump. Now the tree had been cut off using a chainsaw, but the tree stump had been pulled out of the ground, turned upside down, and set on about a ten-foot boulder. So you know that's that just doesn't happen from you know you know a light breeze or even a, yeah. a little little bit of avalanche around here. But so it was placed there by somebody, and you had to have a heck of an effort. Now this, again, this area is very steep. Uh, it's off of uh, U.S. Highway 67, but 
it's not an area where people hike any kind of regularity or uh, you know even camp up in this area just because of the way the terrain is. Uh-huh. But then we found some tree breaks, and we also found some uh, stacked rocks in two different locations. And uh, one of the things I noticed that day was uh, there was a lot of crows or ravens around. I couldn't, you know, at the distance, it was hard to tell what they were. Uh, but, uh, and ever since then, anytime I've had something going on, I've noticed that there's been crows and ravens around. So even from my first experience, I kind of noted that. Uh-huh. So interesting. that got me really looking into stuff. And uh, four years ago, this Memorial Day, I had a face-to-face encounter with a seven-and-a-half-foot female. Um, I'd gone out. It was Friday of Memorial Day weekend, and just I left work early. It was just a not a lot going on, kind of a lousy day to be at work. Beautiful weather. That's why it was a lousy day to be to work. Um, so I came home and went hiking. Went on about a six-mile hike, and about halfway through it, I uh, walk out of a group of aspens, and standing between two pine trees is this giant, hairy, bipedal creature. Um, I noted a weird-shaped branch right near the top of her head, so I figured, oh, you know, I can come back and take a measurement. Um, but the encounter lasted about 45 seconds, and uh, we're just standing there staring at each other. Now, she was kind of a brownish, uh, reddish color, uh, grayish, almost black skin around her mouth and her eyes and her nose. Um, Hazel-colored eyes. And what's funny is I give my wife, or my wife gives me a hard time about this, they're the same color as my wife's eyes. That's what made them stand out so much to me. Um, Arms hung down below her knees. I'm sorry, go ahead. What, What distance away from her were you? About 30 feet. Oh, wow. Okay. That's close. <laughs> yeah. And uh, these these two trees that she was standing between were part of a almost a complete circle of pine trees, and I could see other movement behind her. And I'm only taking a guess, but I I think maybe there was a couple little ones with her, and maybe she was kind of using this as a jungle gym playground thing for the kids to play in, and she was just kind of keeping an eye on them. Uh-huh. Uh, she had prominent breasts that were partially covered with hair. Uh, no uh, external lower genitalia that I could see, so that's kind of how I deduced it was a female. Uh-huh. And uh, wow. while, we're, we're, while we're staring at each other, I can see her. she's moving her fingers really quick, and uh, every few seconds she's kind of breathing out real hard and to the point where her, like her top lift was quivering a little bit, kind of like a, and, uh, I think I caught her off guard. I don't know how I did it. Um, wow. She wasn't intentional. I know there'll be some that think, well, you can't catch them off guard. You're that's, you know, but, this is what uh, happened with me, and that's all I can do. Is I have no evidence of this encounter other than just my uh, personal experience. 
But uh, I'm thinking that, you know, I wasn't out doing research. I was just out for a hike, and I just had a little day pack on me. had, you know, some water, some food, and, you know, emergency stuff with me. No camera. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I wish I had a camera. And, I'm oh, I got my phone. And twice I reached down to grab my phone, and I caught my thumb in my uh, shoulder strap. So I look down to grab my phone, and as I pull it back up, she's gone. And all I hear is these solid, you know, thud, 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 foots, you know, running out of the area. It lasted about five seconds, and then it was just dead quiet. And now being up in the mountains like that, dead quiet means there was dead quiet. No birds. We really don't get insects up at that elevation that make noise. You know, there's no crickets or frogs or anything like that but there was no birds chirping no nothing and the wind wasn't blowing it was just dead silence so i stood there a little bit and was able to take a measurement at the tree branch you know and the tips of my fingertips are just at seven and a half feet so i'm six foot two myself and so stretching up, I was able to just touch the branch, and when I got back, I measured the height, and then it was seven and a half feet. And I'd estimate probably between four and six hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, I did share uh, a couple of pictures with you guys of a statue that I had made of it, because that year I turned right. 50, so for my uh, 50th birthday present to myself, I uh, had this statue made by artist uh, Alex Evans. I'm sure you guys have heard oh, of her. Oh, yeah. Sure she does some amazing stuff. And uh, her and I talked a number of times and gave her the description. And uh, just amazing. The face is exactly what I saw. Um, wow. You know, the, body's, the body proportions are very much as what I saw. And the reports I've heard in the past are... Uh, Sasquatch around here tend to be a little bit narrower at the waist than, say, the ones in the northeast, or I mean the northwest, and, you know, not as squatty as, like, skunk ape or swamp ones, whatever you want to call them down there, down south. That's amazing. Did you, um, when you first saw her and your guy, your eyes locked, did you, was your brain able to just Oh my God, it's Bigfoot, or were you just kind of going just in disbelief of what you were seeing? No, actually, that's exactly what my reaction was. I knew exactly when it was, you know, just from my own research and just, you know, my time in the military, spent a lot of time in rural areas, and, you know, so the woods really don't, I, I don't frighten easy. I wasn't scared. I was a little nervous. I mean, my stomach was churning a little bit. And yeah. Like I said, it lasted 45 seconds. You know, you're, it's enough time for your brain to go, that's a Bigfoot. That's a Bigfoot. That's, that was about it. <laughs> you know? Wow. And, but uh, I could see the intelligence. You could, you just knew that there was a, oh yeah, a, a lack of a better term, a soul in there. You know? Wow. And was I, the nose was the nose flat or more human shaped? A lot of people were always interested in hearing about that. Uh, it, it was more. It, it was kind of a combination. 
mm. it would be considered what what's classified as a hooded nose. Yeah, that kind of okay. a a cross between a chimpanzee and a human nose. Hmm. That's interesting. And you know there was large, you know, ridge across the, her, you know, dirt or not a dermal ridge, but a uh, ridge across her like her eyebrow area. And a brow uh, ridge. Brow ridge. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, Slight conical shape to the head, but the head sat right on top of the, the shoulders. There wasn't much of a a front neck, you know. Okay. I hear that and a lot. Just massive. I mean, just the size was just unbelievable. Easily four feet across at the shoulder. And and, and so, you didn't feel but, threatened at all. No, because I first thing I did is I held my hands out to the side. I mean, that was just automatic. And, you know, I didn't make any aggressive posture, but I looked her right in the eye. I wasn't going to look away. Um, I was too busy taking in what I was seeing. You know, but, I mean, I, I'm i looking at her from head to toe, Keep you know, and it's at 30 feet, you can pretty much everything uh-huh. you're, you're looking at head to toe automatically, you know, and uh, – just trying to take as many details in as I could possibly could before, and then thinking, what am I going to do? I, mm. If I could have gotten a picture, you know, that would have been one thing. But my thought was just to kind of start just backing up slowly. And by that time, it was over with. Wow. That is so, amazing. Good. Go, go ahead, ahead Julie. Okay. Well, well I was, was going to ask you. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Now you go I'll right go. ahead. Okay. Well, I was going to – so your first encounter was about five years ago, and these all take place fairly close to where you live. Is that correct? Right. Um, actually, and even uh, the, the two coming off the boulder, seeing them run across, are within a probably a mile of where I had the face-to-face encounter. It was farther okay. up on the mountain. Um, but yeah, and it's about three miles from my house. Like I said, I live right at 10,000 feet. My front door is 10,048 feet. And, uh, we're on the west side of Pikes Peak, about three miles outside of Cripple Creek. Um, and the the gold mining area from, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask the, so the first encounter and then you had was took place in what month? And one was in January, uh-huh. and then then I saw basically the same thing about the end of the year. It was probably uh, – it was between Christmas and New Year's, uh, so it was December of that same year. So that would have been 2000 – so one was 2011, the other was in 2000. Well, the, the, the two ones that I thought were like a juvenile that were probably six foot, probably – they couldn't have weighed more than 200 pounds. I mean, they were slender, build. And you know, I'm, and they were at that time of day, and with the lighting that was there, they looked, you know, black, completely black from head to toe. I didn't see any face details. It was far enough. That was how far it was out. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I saw a, a figure. And this is again, this is not an area where you could park and even walk your vehicle. So there, it's not hard to eliminate 
any kind of people walking in the area, especially that time of day and in that kind of weather. Right. Cause it was, I mean, it was clear weather as far as, you know, it wasn't snowing or anything, but it was probably really cold. I mean, both those normal, our normal temperature up here about that time of the year, both those times of day is probably 20 degrees or below. So, Leon, do you think that the, your first two encounters were the same individual? Did they? I mean, did you get good enough to look at them both times to make a? Uh, can you? I mean, do you think it was the same creature both yeah, times? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was probably. I mean, just the habit, or you know, the what it was doing was the same thing. So that's what makes me think it's the same creature, same basic build, you know, and. And you're talking about an encounter that lasted three to five seconds, you know? I mean, it just jumped down. And I kind of wonder, there's a lot of traffic on the road in the early mornings, you know, back and forth. Uh, a lot, we have a couple of active gold mines, and, you know, they're always, you know, not mine trucks as far as ore, but there's trucks that are coming through with the chemicals they use to leach the ore. Uh, probably every... 15 minutes to a half an hour. I just wondered if it wasn't just curious about what was going on and climbed down there in the morning or in the evening just to watch the traffic. And so those two were real quick encounters. And you mentioned that that your third encounter, um, your longest one, uh, changed your view on everything. What, What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, to where I was a little, you know, there were even as much evidence that I'd looked at and, you know, even talking to Mike and his people, there was still uh, skepticism. Did they actually exist, you know? Um, I've been out in the woods with enough novice people to people make mistakes on what stuff is all the time. Um, you know, even descriptions of these by experienced researchers. I think that the heights are always exaggerated and the weights are probably exaggerated, not because they're exaggerating the story. I just don't think the common person has enough experience estimating heights and weights and distances that they, they get it right. So, but, um, so even though you had, you'd had, even though you'd had two visual encounters, you still had a question in your mind that until you had your, your, uh, long encounter with the female that I mean that did it for you obviously you can't like because our brains have a tendency to try to question ourselves and we saw something weird and and it was a brief encounter so you were still questioning what you had seen until you had that definitive encounter yeah I I don't know if questioning is quite the right I mean there was still a little bit of skepticism just a little bit of doubt um, I mean, I know what I saw. I saw how it moved. It moved like a smaller version of what I've seen in videos, such as, uh, you know, the Patterson film. Uh, another one I really like is the uh, Mount St. Helens one, where it's kind of running away down in the trees, away from the uh, lump or the logging road. Um, there were similar movement that I recognized. You know, just from having that in my memory is seeing this and, you know, seeing videos a hundred times. So, it, you know, it triggers a, a memory response and 
But yeah, it, it definitely was. It, it changed my entire point of view as far as that. Well, I know for a hundred percent sure now that they exist, and you know, and you know, even talking to people that have never had any experience with it and never have had any kind of encounter, you know, they're like. Well, how can there be just one Bigfoot all over the place? Well, they're not. They're species. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it just, it's surprising how many of them have that in their head. And uh, I've had so, I've experienced that too. Yeah. Well, no, I yeah. thought it was Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, a, Bigfoot defines you know, a species, and, not yeah. Yeah. Well, that's actually I I try not to use that term Bigfoot. I try to use the term Sasquatch. Because to me, yeah. Bigfoot is what they have. Sasquatch is what they are. Uh, right. And, yeah, it, but it just changes the way you look at things. I mean, you know for sure. I mean, you 100% know that it's there. And anybody that doubts you, you're like, well, that, you know, I know what I saw. If you don't believe me, I'm sorry. There's nothing mm-hmm. I can do to make you 100% believe it until you have an encounter. Right. Um, right. And that's that's funny because I I have you know I know I have close friends that have had uh, com- I call them confirmation experience and and I still haven't so I I reserve about I'm probably now at about one and a half percent I reserve that everybody that's ever had an encounter is misidentified it or is crazy but uh, I'm I'm at ninety eight point five percent that there's exists I, I mean you have to have re- you have to reserve some kind of uh, so you have your own confirmation encounters. So, oh yes, definitely. So, so you've had you've had other things going on um, in close proximity to where you live. You um, have footprints and tree breaks. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, that's what's funny is um, talking to Mike after I had my encounter, and then stuff started happening around here. Uh, him and I kind of came to. Uh, a hypothesis that maybe she got locked onto my scent and she realized who I was and was able to follow me back home. I don't want to say that, you know, that a Bigfoot female stalking me, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but anyways, over the summer, uh, after the Memorial Day incident, um, we started having strange things happen around the house. Uh, large tree breaks. We had two of them. Now, and these are aspens that are probably uh, six inches in diameter, one was, and the other one was probably four inches in diameter. And both the breaks were done at probably seven feet off the ground. Those were the two huge tree breaks. Then I started seeing smaller, similar ones, what you see commonly in uh, in people presenting evidence, um, and then found some... Uh, tree formations, uh, cross trees kind of woven in together, and, you know, young aspen saplings, which are very bendable. Uh, some broken over in, well, not broken, but forced into an arch. You know, yeah, these can grow naturally that way, but they were just, you know, we live in a, we've got a good-sized plot of land, and uh, in the 10-acre area around us, is all open and um, so there's not people going down in there and bending trees over but I know the area well enough that 
if there's a change in the trees, you know, somebody's been cutting them down, mm-hmm. I notice it fairly quick. I walk it on a regular basis. I have a, uh, I'm an avid shooter, so I have a pistol and rifle range on my property, and uh, I'm down there shooting quite often, and and also do archery. And so I'm in the area. I'm walking through the woods on a regular basis, and comfortable in my area. I know when something's around. You know, we we have mm-hmm. coyotes, uh, bear, mountain lion, bobcat, lynx, uh, elk, deer, fox. Uh, porcupine. Uh, I've seen a badger once. Uh, you know, so we have all kinds of wildlife around here. There's a lot to for a large carnivore or herbivore, or omnivore actually to eat. So, you know, we have we have ground berries and wild strawberries and pine nuts. You know, so there's a large food source in the area. So well, on yeah, your property, I, I, go ahead. Julie. On your property, had you heard any um, unusual sounds that made you think, you know, could that be from one of these creatures? Howls, no, if you will. Not, not anything that direct like a, you know, a howl or a, a grunt or anything. Um, I was out on our uh, back deck one night and. Uh, just horsing around. It was after work. It was a beautiful night out, and I'd gotten out my parabolic mic, and I didn't have a recorder hooked up to it, but I whistled three or four times just seeing if anything would happen just for the fun of it, and I heard a faint whistle that was at a distance. Um, Could it have been another human? Very possible. I don't know what it was, but it was funny that it, and that was that same summer, you know, you know, with the activity that I saw going on, I was out there doing that kind of stuff on a regular basis and never recorded anything or, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were doing, we were trying to do, my grandson, uh, Adam is, uh, well, he would have been like seven at the time, will be 10 this year, um, very much into it. So every, anytime he was outside when they were up here visiting us, he was always finding a stick beating against a tree, waiting to hear a tree knock. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, um, you're you also have a uh, investigation group, Pisces Peak Paranormal. So you're like one of the perfect people to ask. Do you think that uh, do you attribute uh, paranormal uh, abilities to these animals? Not at all. I've experienced a lot of paranormal stuff in my life, uh, starting when I was a little kid, and I've also had some very unusual encounters on that. Um, I've had spirits appear next to me in solid form more than once, and actually had a verbal encounter with one. Um, No, I don't. I think a lot of it is, again, people attributing you know, you call it paranormal or magical powers that are mistaking it for a natural occurrence. Uh, mm-hmm. My theory, I mean, I've been doing a lot of research. Uh, I get a lot of people that send me evidence and ask my opinion of it. And I hope I have a pretty good reputation and respected in people that have uh, I've had encounters with over the years. But um, 
I think a lot of it is, like I was starting to say, was misidentified. Um, I contribute a lot of it to infrasound. Um, I think uh, if you got blasted with enough of a sonic small blast in a concentrated area, it's enough to distort you. It's enough to knock you out to where you may think mm-hmm. that it's only been a couple of seconds, but it was you may have been out for a minute. And, you know, once they're there in your vision, the next minute they're gone. Um, I think that may instill the flight or fight response in us, too. And uh, so, you know, between the infrasound and just people maybe overreacting to stuff they're experiencing. You know, you're talking about an intelligent creature. Um, I think that maybe a lot of the wilderness uh abilities that native americans learn may have learned them from watching them you know uh, and they actually used it in star wars but uh the apache indians one of the things they did was they traveled in single file lines to hide their numbers so people couldn't figure out how big of a hunting party or a, a war party they were in um and you know, like I said, they use that in Star Wars with the Sand People and uh, Tantooine. So you know, I mean, these these skills were learned from something. Uh, tree formations. What's one? You know, I've heard people say, well, they copy the tree formations because the Native Americans used to make teepees. Well, I think the Native Americans may learn to make teepees from seeing these tree formations. Hmm. Interesting. Well, most of what we, I mean we have is is speculation since we don't you know most of these uh, the behaviors that we attribute to uh, or commonly attribute to the Bigfoot Sasquatch um, you know people don't co- don't report seeing them actually do these things so we we, yeah, what's all, we, we all we got is speculation and, and theory so yeah yeah, yeah I mean um one thing that I always people come up and talk to me, you know, like, oh, you're an expert on Sasquatch. Nope, not even close. I've had experiences, and I'll tell you what I think they are and how they live, and that's the best I can do. I am not an expert, and when I hear somebody say, oh, yeah, I'm a Bigfoot expert, that's pretty much when I quit listening to them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so that's that's interesting. And when when you saw going back to your encounter with the female, thirty feet away, and I know a lot of people always ask this as well. You did not smell any particular odor that you've heard other people talk about with their encounter. Um, no, I didn't. And I'm I wonder if that's not attributed to more to climate than to uh, mm-hmm. you know maybe uh, scent glands that they have. And again. You know, if it's if those scent glands are used for some kind of uh, either mating or protection, if she didn't feel threatened, she might not have secreted a scent. Um, but also, our climate here in Colorado is arid alpine uh, climate. So, I mean, we're high elevation, but we're very low humidity. And okay. um, so, you know, in areas like Washington State and Oregon and Idaho, where it's high humidity, and again, going back to like the skunk ape, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, and Florida, high humidity areas, in a, you know, 
is it just their type of BO? I, you know, there's right. Yeah, and you and also mentioned that's... that there's not a lot of insects up at that ten thousand plus feet on that mountain. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, always like... wondered. Yeah, and I always wondered if it wasn't it something that they might do to for insect repellent. Yeah, uh, you know, another form of a way to protect themselves. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that's that's kind of something I've been researching a little bit in because it does seem like the the more reports uh, from the southern part of the the states, it seems there a lot of times there's that. Well, that skunk odor, if you will. Um, but a lot of times up in the, the higher mountain areas, a lot of people don't report. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Right. I mean, like um, oh, Mr. Mitchell, the one that just passed away, the guy that did a lot of work in Arizona, uh, he didn't report that very often either. I mean, look at mm-hmm. how much time he spent out there in uh, the Shellville area. He was out there all the time for for days and weeks sometimes. And right. I don't remember yeah, his reports of scent down that area. And that climate would be really close to what we have here, but it's a little bit lower elevation. Hmm. Might be something to that. Yeah. I mean, there's things that I've observed that I've, you know, coin my own theories on uh you know i people say well you know game cameras and we don't ever catch them on game cameras that's that, so they can't exist i i think that maybe they see into the infrared range i use ir cameras all the time in paranormal stuff i mean when when ir emitters are on if you're looking directly at them you can actually see them you see a little bit of a red tint in the area where the emitter is, even in a pitch dark room. Um, so if they can see into the infrared range, again, this is just all speculation. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're out in the woods and the, somebody's put up a trail camera and it's got an IR emitter on it, that's that's a bright light. It's going to be a bright red to to white light to them. At you know, and I mean, you take a normal standard uh, LED flashlight you can buy off the shelf now. You turn that on on a cloudy, clear night at midnight, you can see that thing for two miles. Mm-hmm. So, I well, mean, this is going to be yeah. something that they're going to avoid it. They're gonna, they may walk up to it. I mean, there's a couple of videos that I've seen where a big hairy hand comes around the tree and squishes the camera. <laughs> right, and we have no way of knowing what their eyesight really is, you know, if, it's, if they can actually see better in the dark, which... You know, would make sense because if they they hunt a lot at night, um, but we don't know what they can see and what they can't see and in what range. So another thing that intrigues me. Right. Well, just from their own survival, they would have had to evolve a you know an extensive eyesight, superior strength, superior speed. I mean, comparing to us using the homo sapien as the baseline, you know, they're probably five to ten times stronger than us. Uh, and and you can go into the, any of the other primate species and see that, you know. I mean, gorillas, chimpanzees, even orangutans, all three of those species are incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's similarities there. That's where I think they are a primate species. Uh, I know I get people tell me, oh, no, they're human hybrid. I don't mm-hmm. believe so. Again, my point of view. You're entitled right. to your opinion. I'm entitled to mine. Um, you will get and, my and opinion whether just you want it or not. Because it's not been proven yet, you know. Um, right. People with these DNA tests, well, unless you have the specimen that you're taking the DNA from and scientifically proven that it came from that, you know, subject, then you cannot say, yeah, this is the DNA of a Sasquatch. Exactly. So you have no baseline. You have no baseline to compare it to. So it is still very um, speculative and controversy, you know, always abounds we get over it. Right, until we get a complete and entire carcass. Type specimen, yep. Yeah, right. you, know, you know, a baseline specimen. There, there's no way of going back and saying, yes, that DNA is that. Um, example was in the DNA that, were, that was found in the Himalayas that just uh, came out last year, and they said it was a, uh, uh ancient bear, like a pol- mm-hmm. an ancient polar bear type of thing. Yeah. And, uh, well, they had that DNA from fossil records that they were able to extract and, you know, compare it to that, you know, and right. that was for a long time was thought to be Yeti or Bottomless Snowman, whatever you want to call it, from that area, it's thought to be that DNA. Um, right. Yeah, that was, you know, uh, that was interesting how that yeah. turned out. There was a report from the 1950s that Jimmy Stewart actually brought back a, a Yeti hand. And he spent a lot of time in the Himalayas in the 50s. You know, he'd, he'd served in World War II as a pilot and, you know, and had a lot of money. So he traveled a lot, you know, after the world was safe. And, you know, you hear that report. How much credibility do you give to it? Right. And it, wasn't it the hand from Nepal that he brought back? Yes, yes. No, yeah. Okay. from a... a uh, Monastery mm-hmm. high up in the And uh, Yeah any of the weird stories Or uh, weird incidents that have happened In the last 250 years I've probably read Something on You know, uh, you know I, To me it's all information Usable information um, But then you see these people That say oh I found a Bigfoot hand And you know it ends up being a bear a bear claw with no fur on it. Uh, right. And that's like 99.9% of the time when we find something out in the woods, people think it's unusual because they're they're not familiar with what it is. Or, yeah. the, you well, know, the, it doesn't the, appear to be what it is because of the uh, decay of, what, of right. whatever it is. So, And then it automatically, oh, it's a Bigfoot, you know, and then you find yeah. out it's not. So, that's one of the biggest well, problems I think facing the field. Right. And that and that's and that's not necessarily an intentional hoax, but it's still a hoax. Right. Right. You know, it's an accidental hoax. Uh, or you could call it a misidentification. But um one of the things that, that one and I'm sure you guys get this question all the time, well, why don't we find bodies? Mm-hmm. And I have a very simple and very sensible response to that. How often do you hear of hikers finding bear and mountain lion carcasses, especially around exactly. that area? 
You know, we have huge populations of bear and mountain lion around here. But they don't because when they get old and get ready to die, they go to a secluded area. You know, they put themselves between a few rocks just to for their own protection. You know, that's just a mm-hmm. stink to them. So right. you're talking about a creature that we assume, you know, there's a few facts that you have to assume when you're researching stuff, that they're intelligent, uh, that they have the ability to communicate with each other, and that they have some form of informal society, be it, you know, family units, tribes, whatever anybody wants to call them. I've heard all those used. Um, yeah. yeah. Clans, yeah, that's another one. But you have to, you just kind of have to assume some of this stuff. So, if they're an intelligent creature and they have these abilities, you know, it doesn't take very long before you realize, you know, as a that type of creature, that a carcass rotting causes illness. You know, it's going to make others in the area sick, especially if it died from a disease. You know, that promotes the disease. So what do you do to get rid of it? You bury it. Yeah. And then when I say that, I usually get the response, well, why why haven't archaeologists found anything? Well, because archaeologists don't go out in the middle of the woods and start digging. They work, they dig in areas where there's known civilizations, known, you know, habitats of whatever they're looking for. They don't go walking out in the middle of the woods and go, oh, I think I'll start digging here and see if I can find something. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. Well, but most people, unless you're into doing research, don't realize the steps of doing research. They don't understand, mm-hmm. you know, the process. And there's even people that do this kind of stuff that don't understand the process. Um, <laughs> uh, as you can tell, I'm extremely opinionated and very passionate about what I do. Um hmm and that's great. Great. But uh, you know, so they're going to bury the they're going to bury their dead or they're going to put him in some place. And there has been bones found. Have they been tested? Again, we don't have a baseline to test them against. Uh-oh. You know, the only thing that you usually hear back is well, it's of an unknown species. Well, that doesn't confirm right. it's a Sasquatch. That just means that it's unknown. I mean, right. there's an average of uh I think the number is like 250 new species discovered annually worldwide. You know, so, you know, saying it's an unknown species doesn't determine that it's a Sasquatch. It could be, you know, something else. Well, yeah, and there's probably other primates out there somewhere that haven't been discovered as well. Well, prime example, just in the last decade, the bonobo chimp. Mm Mm-hmm. The bonobo chimp that was discovered less than 20 miles outside of a city in Indonesia of 20 million people. Right. So that's, you know, you know there's I mean, a lot no of reasons. Reason I use these examples as, as uh, you know, common sense reasoning on how these creatures could still be, you know, we're talking a small population. Um, I actually, it's funny that I'm doing this today as yesterday, I just did an interview with one of our local news stations uh, that's going to be broadcast next month. And, uh, you know, they asked me, well, what do you think of the population is in this area? And I'm like, anything I do is just going to be a scientific wild-ass guess. Um, 
you know, I, I said probably a few hundred at most, and I said I think they probably are organized in small groups, family groups of, you know, between four and 12. I mean, a number higher than that, just, you know, you run into being able to properly, you know, maintain a diet for everybody, uh, maintain control. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need it. And I think the groups probably, you know, in our area, we have uh, elk that uh, migrate over about a 60-mile area. And uh, in the summertime, they're broken up into smaller groups of, you know, anywhere from 10 to 30. And uh, they all, and during, you know, early fall, late summer, they start migrating together into large groups for, you know, because the rut's coming up. There's mating season. And I'm I'm wondering if that may not be tied into how family groups also meet up, you know, for lack of a term to tie it to Native Americans. They have their own little powwows um, or, you know, uh, gatherings of other groups. And do maybe some of the older juveniles, you know, go from one group to another so, you know, you don't have uh, interbreeding and well, yeah, that's that's valid. You have some very uh, some good ideas there, Leon. Well, you know, I have no life, so you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's we're the same. Little always, sad. You know, Leon, your 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 three encounters happened um, around 2011, 2012. It sounds like. Yes. And nothing, have you had any encounters since that time or anything Um, that's happened since? Well, since that time, I've been, you know, I go out on, you know, doing these little things. We actually did, um, in 2013, we had a uh, Bigfoot conference here in Cripple Creek that I sponsored. And we had it at our local heritage center. And uh, SIR helped you know, organize and, and put on. Mm-hmm. And that night afterwards, we went out and did a one-night expedition camping thing in an area that's called the Craig's Campground, which is, again, right off of Highway 67, all within just a few miles of where uh, my encounters happened. And uh, about 5 o'clock in the morning, you know, it, we're talking, this was, in, this was before Memorial Day of 2013, and I think it was actually just about mid-April. So, you know, I told you what kind of weather we were having today. We had similar weather that weekend. We actually had snow come in that that evening, kind of hampered some of the stuff that we were going to do. But um, it was a cold night. So, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning, you're in a sleeping bag. What's the first thing you have to do? You you need to get up and relieve yourself, but it's too damn cold to get out of the sleeping bag. So I'm laying there. I've been laying there about 15 minutes just trying to... You know, wait to the point where I couldn't wait anymore. <laughs> and uh, I heard big footsteps go right past my tent, you know, just eight or ten of them, just boom, 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 boom. And my first thought was, oh, that's one of the guys out there screwing with us. Um, you know, a couple hours later, we're all getting breakfast and we're walking around and starting picking up our stuff. And we noticed that this 
the pine tree must have been about 15 feet tall. And at about at the 8 to 10 foot level, it had been snapped off. And we found that part that was snapped off uh, maybe 250 feet away, down the road, down the hill. And around it, we found scuff marks that could be, you know, track-related. But again, nothing definitive as far as the, they, you could make out a footprint or anything. Oh. So I've had that. Um, I started... People knew me in the area from doing the paranormal. I was actually on, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Ghost Adventures. Mm-hmm. I saw you on that. Okay, mm-hmm. that was on that. You know, it was funny. It was actually about the same time, so that was a pretty active year for me for having experiences. But um, people knew me from that, so other people heard, oh, I was doing, you know, Sasquatch research too. So people started approaching, and I also... Yeah, I make it rather obvious on my Jeep. I've got a, a yellow Wrangler that's got a lift on it, and but I, I named it uh, the Crypto Tracker, and uh, mm-hmm. so got a sticker on my window that says, you know, Sasquatch Research Team. So it's it's rather obvious oh. what I'm into. <laughs> so I get approached at gas stations, at Walmart, at you know McDonald's, or you know wherever. If we're parked and, you know, first thing that people ask you, is that real or are you just, is it a joke? I said, no, it's real. That's, you know, I'm into the research and, well, okay, I've had this experience. And in our area, just talking and then talking to friends that I've known for years, finding out they had experiences here back in the, you know, they grew up here. So we're talking from mid-1950s until the 80s, you know, the population of Cripple Creek was in just a couple hundred people. And at a few times it was below 100. But they were having experiences around the area, things. Um, BFRO actually has a pretty cool one that happened here in 81. Um, actually, only about a half a mile from my house up at uh, Cripple Creek Reservoirs, where a guy that lived about 50 miles away worked for the city of Cripple Creek, but went up to check the pump houses. And... Um, when he got up to the pump house, he heard growling. I may be missing some of the details, but he heard noises or saw something that drove him into the pump house. And once he got into the pump house, it sounds like there was multiple, and I probably guess probably young males just having some fun, uh, beating on it and screaming and hollering. Could it have been, you know, some other teenagers in the area just, having fun, very possible, but it scared this guy so much that there was a phone inside the building. He called his dad, who lived in a town called Hartzell, which is a good 60-mile drive from here, and his dad came over with a couple of shotguns just so they could get him out of there, but until right before his father arrived, it was still going on. They were beating on it, and he was scared to death, but if you... But it is a recorded BFRO incident. If you look for Teller County, Colorado, uh, and there's three or four other ones that take place. Some of them actually take place in the area. I was talking about the Craig's campground. Uh, there was a report of a hunter over in there that uh, saw one in like, like a pond uh, that he observed from, I don't know, I guess probably a quarter mile away and watched it for quite some time. So it's an active area. It's been an active area for a very long time. I mean, there's reports. 
Kit Carson, the famous, you know, frontiersman, had an encounter with some kind of creature similar to a Sasquatch over near Fairplay, Colorado in uh, the mid-1800s. And he was all over this area. I mean, I actually worked at a base that's named after him, Fort Carson. Cool. Well, well, uh, Leon, we appreciate you joining us today. We are uh, about out of time, so we'll have to have you come back and we can talk about um, oh, yeah. more reports and stuff in that area. So uh, thanks again yeah, for joining us. Yeah, oh, so my pleasure. For uh, Julie Rex, this is Gunnar Monson uh, and Monster X Radio. Thank you all for joining us and join us again for Monster X Radio exclusive eyewitness encounters. Thanks again. Thanks, Leon. Awesome.